Shalom Mishpocha. Shalom family. Mishpocha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpocha, the family with a Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people where the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile, it's finally come down to form what Paul calls one new man, or in the Greek, one new humanity. It's as if when the wonderful anointing, uh, let's call it the uh, Jewish DNA anointing, merges with the Gentile spiritual DNA anointing, it forms the full dwelling place of God by his spirit. And we're beginning to see the rumbling of this. Why? Because God's speeding everything up. And uh, I have Carrie Kirkwood on the telephone. And Carrie, I want to tell you a sad story. Uh, when I was a brand new Jewish believer in Jesus and Wow, we're talking about almost 40 years ago. Things were different than they are today. Uh, there were not that many Jewish believers in Jesus, and I was just kind of an oddity almost, uh, unique, if you will. And even before I had read the New Testament, uh, I was out on the speaking circuit, uh, and uh, uh I started seeing things of the supernatural. Because I had been involved in the new age before I became a believer in Jesus, I started seeing things that were almost like what I saw in the new age. And I had had such an encounter with the reality of the devil and such an encounter with the reality of God, I literally had such a fear of touching uh, uh, the the new age and the demonic that I almost threw out the baby with the dirty bathwater uh, because some of the things in healing and in meditation and in visualization um, uh, they and even uh, 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 the way things were approached in healing uh, they uh, they reminded me of certain things I saw in the occult or the new age and it took me many years to realize that what I saw was a counterfeit, and you cannot have a good counterfeit unless you have the authentic. Uh, so it's almost like the devil got me when I was in the New Age, and then he tied my hands behind my back when I became a believer in Jesus, because uh, the New Testament, devoid of the supernatural, is just religion. Exactly. And, and uh, Carrie, you teach on an area that uh, uh, I imagine you run into problems too, but it is, to me, one of the missing ingredients to have your faith activated to have the same results that Jesus had in the New uh, Testament, and it's got to do with your new book, and I might say we're the only ones that have it right now. It'll be in the bookstores in several months. But we have a, a pre-publication uh, printing of your new book, The Power of Imagination, uh, with uh, four CDs teaching and impartation in these areas, as well as the bonus. And the bonus is worth the whole the whole deal. It's so wonderful to me, The Power of Magnification. Uh, uh, but... In the area of the power of imagination, uh, there are Christians that are suspicious of this for the same reason I was 40 years ago. 
Sure, because the church has has, uh, given away some precious things that God has given us in the Word simply because of the titles or the terms, and they think imagination, well, that's got to be of the devil, and so they just let go of it. Yet we find through the Scripture that that we were created in the imagination or the image of God. So that word literally means that there is a resemblance of God and his DNA that he's placed in us with the ability to be as creative as God is. That's not saying we're better than him. It just says he wants to give us a part of himself so that we can see beyond what we see around us in in the five natural senses. Uh, Well, you know, the scripture that comes to mind, and I've pondered over this and meditated over this a lot, and Jesus said, I only do what I see my heavenly Father doing. Uh, And that's a very interesting scripture. Right. Yeah, and the idea is not... He's, he's not looking at the trees and saying, well, look what God's doing. He created the trees. Because when Jesus was on the cross, he cried out in the only time that he appeared that he did not have any, any contact with his father. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the Bible says that God could not look upon sin. So that brief moment on the cross that he realized that God had turned his back upon the sin. So that tells me the rest of the time that Jesus was in in contact, not not with just a physical eyesight, but there was a, the spiritual intuitiveness and connectedness that he had with his father. Uh, well, we're seeing the power of imagination work on the dark side, and most people understand it. For instance, uh, there are so many people addicted today to pornography yes. because they burn the image using their imagination uh, often into their brain. What would happen if we burned the image of what God wanted for our future rather than what the devil wants for our future? <laughs> yeah, Jesus uh, said it in, on his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Uh, he said, I say unto you, uh, he's reflecting from the Old Covenant to the New. He said in the Old Covenant, you know, that uh, if a woman was caught in adultery, and it's a shame the women always get the bad side of that, caught in adultery, that she is to be stoned. He said, but I say unto you, in a new covenant setting, that if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, and the word lust there doesn't mean a casual glance. It means to fixate, to see with, with understanding. So if a man looks upon her to lust after her, then he has committed adultery in his heart already. Or one translation puts it kind of the idea of in reality. So when I was, I was reading that, and I thought, Huh. Well, I know how would it be if we begin to set, as it were, our heart and our gaze upon the goodness of the Lord and consider what his word says about who he is and how beautiful and how loving and how kind he is, then if that is true in the natural, that, uh, that a man looks upon a woman to lust after, then we can have the same craving for spiritual things with him. So that means if I look upon him, and as Hebrews 12 says, setting our eyes, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, then that could become a reality in my heart. So it's like, um, like a replacement therapy. I can replace some bad images and some bad experiences I had as a child, perhaps, or things that I didn't want to see, to be able to see something that is of a goodness that has the same nature and image of God. Uh, you, you know, uh, doctors talk a great deal uh, and understand something called psychosomatic 
medicine. Yeah. But this is outrageous uh, where, where you teach about a study where such a high percentage of medical students that as they actually study the symptoms and the causes of diseases, uh, they start having the symptoms of the disease themselves. I, I, I think that illustrates it more than almost anything of, of uh, what you're teaching, but in reverse. Yeah, I was reading on, uh, on an airplane one day, just a magazine article, and this is back in probably in 07, and it was saying that uh, 50% of the medical students, that while they were studying particular diseases, that they started uh, incurring some of those same symptoms of the diseases that they were studying. So it's like whatever they, they beheld, they became. Uh, you know, it's, 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 after I understood what you were teaching here, um, sometimes I would watch TV shows on medicine and about diseases and finding what's wrong with people. And, you know, it's kind of interesting stuff. But I decided I don't want to take that into my imagination anymore. Oh, that's exactly right. People get on the Internet and they, they get symptoms, and then they, they come in, in the meetings where I'm ministering and saying, you know, here's my symptoms. I went online and saw this, and, and I think I have this. And so they begin to exhibit the same thing internally that maybe they think is going on in their organs, which is not true. Because, you know, Job said it, that which I feared came upon me. And fear is a type of meditation, is the word hagar, which means to see something ahead before it happens. So that which they feared or saw ahead of time can come upon them. And, and you know, people that say, well, I don't know how to use my imagination for these godly things. They do it all the time with fear. Sure. Yeah, I ask people, I said, how many is ever wor- worried about anything? Of course, everybody raises their hand. I said, well, then you already know how to meditate. And because you're, you're meditating just on the wrong side of that, you know, that faith has substance to it. And the word substance is hupostasis. If you've ever been to a Jewish wedding, they have the hupa they stand right. over. And that's that understanding that they stand under. So faith really has an understanding of what we're looking at. And when we behold what he's called us to be and to do, and the Bible's full of, here's the promises I've given to you and directed you. And in Second Peter 1 and verse 4, he says, I've granted you these, these great and precious promises that is in the, that's, comes through the divine nature. Well, these promises are not given into an old nature full of fear and doubt and unbelief. But there's divine nature that he's given us is a nature that's filled with his DNA, that was filled with his image that, that he saw us in creation. And so we can see these things coming into our life, either fearfully or that through the faith of the Son of God. You know, most people, if I was to say, speak before a thousand people, and I would say, raise your hand if you don't have a clue what God has for your future. Do you know most of the people, even people with gray hair, would raise their hands? Sure. And your teaching literally gets them to where God wants them to be in a way that personally I've never heard taught before like this. Well, you know, when when God was promising Abraham concerning his descendants and his seed, and uh, he tells him, he said, step outside. I'm paraphrasing here. It's in Genesis uh, 15. He said, step outside, assuming they're in the tent, and look up and count the stars. See, today the church says, oh, that's new age, that's uh, imagery and all those things. 
Well, God told Abraham, look up and count the stars. Well, no, he knew that he couldn't count the stars. And he said, this is going to be your descendants. In other words, way beyond thinking about just, you know, well, I've got a servant here, you know, Eleazar, maybe we can do this through him and come up with a plan B. But when God gives us a sense, is I want you to see it from my vantage point. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, we're out of time right now, Carrie, but Mishbucha, please trust me on this. You are going to be so uh, enraptured over this teaching. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a major change in your life. It's the brand new book, and we're the only people you can purchase it from, called The Power of Imagination, four CDs with powerful prayers of impartation, and a special bonus CD, The Power of Magnification. I, I, I mean, that alone will change your life, all available for a gift of $45. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697, 1-800-447-2697. For those that are not that familiar with you, Carrie, uh, when you were a young boy of age six, uh, you had an encounter with God to the point that your mother literally could see uh, the, the Holy Spirit all upon you. And this was age six, and you kind of, as, as it ta- says in scriptures, you kind of pondered this. Uh, and, and, but then you went to a church where the prophetic was, was strong gifting on lots of people, and you, you were kind of leery of what you were seeing, but you were called forward, and someone prophesied over you that actually was a major impact and moment in your life. Tell me about that. I was invited by a friend to a church that was quite different than what I came up through, and even though the church I was in, I was told that this is all there is, and this is, it, was, it was experiential, and, and that was the end of it. So I went to a church where people were real, well, seemed to really be into worship. They they were worshiping with their hands lifted and their eyes open. They were dancing before the Lord, you know, and, and, and worship with that they were into it, not just singing songs. And so I thought to myself, well, if I get out of here alive, I'll be happy. And so at the end of the service, someone came up behind me, laid hands on me, and began to speak over experiences that I'd had as a young boy that no one had ever knew except for me. And I knew in my heart that there, that was the reality that God had for me. I just went down on my knees, and I just on my knees and just crying because I had an encounter with, with God, not just theologically, but I had it in my heart and spirit, and, and he began to reveal himself to me in, in a way that I'd never known before. And now, the prophecy itself, what were you told that had such an impact on you? Well, they began to prophesy over me, not only where I'd been in the past, but they began to prophesy over about going to nations and, and preaching the Word of God without fear or favor and, and being a mouthpiece for God and, and just sharing and speaking those things that He had put in my heart to do. And I was pretty shy, and uh, I just couldn't, uh, couldn't see myself even doing those things. But I knew that I, I felt the witness of the Holy Spirit on my life that if he was with me, I could do this. And as time went on, I, I just began to see myself doing these things. Well, you actually, at that point, when you saw the good that came from the gift of prophecy, you asked the Lord for that gift. Yes. I was, I, there was a man 
there was uh, who was prophesying in the church, and I saw uh, what was uh, the result of the people's lives, that they became more in love with Jesus because the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. So I said in my heart, Lord, one of these days I would like to do that. And that's exactly what happened. And then many, many years later, uh, one of the first times I, I was in a uh, released publicly into a larger setting in prophetic ministry, I had the opportunity of ministering along with this man that I saw as a young boy. Hmm. And I understand your gift is getting so keen now that uh, you'll often know people's names, having never been told their names. Yeah, it just uh, comes out sometimes prophetically to where that uh, I'm not even trying to get a name. And, uh, you know, I remember giving a verse of Scripture to a, a person and, and saying over him that you are a smith, like a blacksmith in, in the body of Christ, and you're sharpening the weapons of warfare up, all that. Well, it was a confirmation. He didn't really believe in prophecy, but his name was Smith. You know, and so, but he had, he asked the Lord, if this thing is real, then, then, you know, having given my name, well, the verse of Scripture is long, you are a smith in the body of Christ. So it touched the whole church, and it, and it started that church in a direction of, of raising their faith level tremendously. Uh, there's an interesting story about a lady, uh, I'm reading in my notes, by the name of Diana Black, who had MS. Tell me about her. Yeah, we were in Houston, and... Um, uh, it was a healing conference, and I would just finish preaching, and so it was the last night of the conference, and we had everybody that wanted healing to come up, and it was about the size of a gymnasium. From one end of the gymnasium all the way to the end, there were people lined up for healing. And it was a long week, and I thought, oh, Lord, help me. I don't have the strength to pray for all of these. And so, but I just started going down the line and giving a short word to each one, person and then declaring healing over them. Instead of hearing their symptoms and hearing their problems and all the doctor's reports, I just wouldn't let him share any of those things because I said, I don't, I'm not a medical uh, guy. All I know is the Word. And he sent his Word to heal you. So I started going down and came to the, it was the, like she was the third one at the end, and uh, I just said over her, may the Lord be your portion and the comfort of the Holy Spirit be upon you. Well, I've never really used that phrase before, and I don't know, really knew what that meant at the time. I thought to myself, well, I'm just tired, and I'm just, you know, just seeing things out of my own heart and mind. And so she, she tells her later, she said, Lord, Carrie Kirkwood has been prophesying to people all up, all up and down this line all night long, and this is all I get is the comfort of the Holy Spirit be your portion. So anyway, I had told everyone, I said, don't go back to your seat. To you, to you see faith, to experience faith, to enter your heart as to what happened. Don't let this just be another church service. Let this be an encounter with the Lord. And I said, and then begin to see what it's like to live without your sickness. Look for the glory. Don't be looking for your pain or set your mind on the doctor's reports. So I said, and when you feel faith in your heart, you can go back to your seat. So people begin to, to go back to their seats. And then Deanna Black uh, was one of the, those that finally went back to her seat. And then as she sat there, she felt like somebody had was touching her from behind, almost rubbing her scalp, because um, the disease she had was there's no cure. They had MRI showing that there was lesions on the brain, and, and she hadn't been able to do anything with her family for quite some time. She was in pain on medication a lot. 
And so she felt something happen in her body. And then the next morning she got up. She had strength and without before the medication to go and um, uh, fix breakfast for her family. And then she later in the week began to do things in the uh, home and cleaning and so on. And she went back to the doctor to say, you know, I haven't taken my me- I haven't taken medication and I feel good. Well, he he was quite upset and said you shouldn't be doing that. So after some pressure from her. He, he did an MRI, came back. He said, there's something wrong with the test. We missed to go back and do it again. And then after they ran the MRI a second time, he took the first ones that she had when they diagnosed it with the last one. He said, there are no lesions or scar tissue on your brain at all. I, we don't understand this. And she said, well, I do. And so she's, she's been free from that, functioning now, and she's her and her husband involved in ministry and, and doing really well. Uh, Terry, briefly tell me, how you got into teaching on the power of imagination. What started you there? Well, I was reading, you know, in Genesis when when the Lord said that we were created in the imagination of God. And it says in in the first verses where he said we were created in the image of God, he said, let us, plural, make make, uh, man. And he's speaking to, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, us, plural. And, and, through his, his image, let us place our own resemblance, is the word there, inside of them, their DNA, their DNA inside of man. But then a few verses later, it says, and then God formed man. So there was two different things there. God created, and then he said he formed. So I began to study that it was two distinct words there, that actually the word he was created in the imagination of God was in the idea, was in that God, first of all, thought it, you know, that we don't understand how God thinks, but, I mean, he does not, doesn't have a brain because God is a spirit. But he, first of all, imagined it was the best way to resemble it. One translation says he determined ahead of time what it would be like. And then he says in Isaiah 43, he says, I formed the people that would praise me, that same word. He said, I saw in already ahead of time this people that I wanted to create. So it, there was a, a thought or a picture, if you will, and in the verses after that, and then he formed man out of the dust of the earth. So first of all, there was something that God saw or predetermined, and then he formed it secondly. So the whole thing with imagination, because my mind was that I was told as a young guy, well, you've got a vain imagination, you've got a wild imagination, and that, you know, that, that imagination will take you into a dark side or into evil. Well, before the fall, everything was good. And so that means that I believed and saw that Adam had the ability to name all the animals. He had the ability to, to understand what God was saying and wanted him to do, that there was the, the glory of God there, the image, the imagination of God was there, the creativity. And so really that imagination was lost after the fall of man. And so I believe that there's something that God wants to restore back to us. And sure, there is a vain imagination and, and things that we can't really trust about ourselves. I have a, a chapter in the book that really speaks of how to discern what a vain imagination is as opposed to a godly imagination. So I began to determine that there's a whole part that God put inside of me that he wanted me to be able to use in a God way by the leadership of the Holy Spirit that we had lost at the fall of man. You know, Carrie, I was thinking as I was speaking this uh, about uh, the chapter in Genesis uh, where they were wanted to build the Tower of Babel 
uh, and, and God said about them, and these were non-believers, these were heathens, and he said about them anything uh, that they all agree on will happen. Anything that they all imagine is going to happen, it's going to happen. That's powerful if that works even for non-believers. Yes. Yeah, in Genesis 11, when they said God came down, looked at this tower, and he said there was nothing impossible that, that they had imagined to do. And one of the words translated in other versions is the word that they purposed. So imagination is, is not some wild thought process, but it really is a purpose. And Paul says, let a man purpose in his heart what he shall give. And so the, we realize that it's the ability, as a prophetic statement, is count those things that appear not as though they are. So imagination is being able to prophetically even see things in a very picturesque way. Carrie, you had a reoccurring dream three nights in a row, which led you to your research on the whole subject of godly imagination. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah, the dream was very real, and, uh, and God speaks to me and, and, and most of us with dreams that are relative to, to what we can connect with. And so in this dream, uh, I was on the golf course, and uh, I was on the 18th green, the last hole of the, the course, and I was playing for a championship tournament. And the, the purse was a million dollars. And I was ahead, and all I had to do, for those who are golfers, you'll understand this, sink a simple little six-inch putt. And so when I, when I start to putt, the ball comes up to the cup and stops there. And I'm so frustrated in the dream, I can't break it through, and, and I feel I hear the disappointment in the crowd. I feel the disappointment in my life. And so uh, the next night, same thing happens, a little bit different scenario. The ball goes around the cup, real simple thing to do, and it stops there. The third night, it happens in a, in a very similar way, and I wake up this time, but I am so frustrated. And I begin to think, oh, I'm, just, I'm a failure. I can't do this last simple thing like I sabotaged my own life. And I just felt the Lord impress me, and he said, uh, I brought you back to this point because there's going to be a breakthrough in your family. This is a generational thing that you need to break through of getting so close to a breakthrough in your life financially and in, in, in business and things that, I, that my family wanted to do in my lineage that we just never could. And I thought, well, Lord, I, how am I going to do this? I, I don't have control over my dreams. And he said, I want you to see this putt being, you know, sunk right there. Just You're going to finish this out. And I thought, okay. But, so I just lay there and, as in a meditation kind of thing. It wasn't spooky. It wasn't strange. And I just saw myself sinking that putt. could hear the, the crowd roar. They gave me the check, and everything uh, changed. I never had that dream again. There, after that time, there was a beginning of change in my life. I started seeing opportunities that I never had, had before, successes that normally would get right up to the point, and something would happen to sabotage that. But, so I'm convinced that the Lord allowed me to see the finished product or the finishing anointing, if you will, to see this thing completed, that I had to have a breakthrough in my life. And sometimes people think, well, I got so close to being healed, but something happened, got other symptoms, or got so close to having that business deal go through and, and something happened and, and, and something caused her to be a failure and we blame it on that. 
but through the power of imagination, and it's being led by the Holy Spirit because he wants us to be successful, he can lead you up to, to sinking that putt, if you will, and finalizing that last thing that needs to happen. Uh, speaking of the power of imagination, uh, there was a woman by the name of Barbara uh, that wanted to sell her business. And she started, she she got the teaching on the power of imagination. Tell me about her. Yeah, her name was Barbara Ann. And uh, she uh, heard the teaching, called me up and said, uh, I've got a lot of confusing things going on in my family. And she said, but I have this business that I need to sell and it's been on the market for three years, and I've not had anybody even uh, want to even look at the business. And the business broker told her, you know, we're in a down economy now, and, and don't ha- get your expectations up or anything like that. So she had heard about blessing as well, and so she started blessing, and, and she asked me about imagination. And I said, well, the ability to, to not just look at what you have, but what it shall be. What do you want? And she says, I want to see this business a sale. I said, do you believe it is the will of God for you to sell this business? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, I want you to, to begin to not create some kind of imagination in your mind, but I want you to pray the very thing that you want that to happen. So she began to pray because words do create pictures. For instance, Sid, if I was to say, you know, you're six foot seven and, and nobody's ever seen you before and you're 280 pounds, which you're not because we've seen you, and, and this is, you know, what you are, and this is how you, you are. And then I use words to describe you. People would have an image of exactly who you are. And so she began to pray words that were led by the Holy Spirit that would create these pictures because we know words create pictures, and pictures can create destiny. So she began to pray that I'm looking for this business to sell. I, I, I want you to I ask you to send me a buyer that, that can be financially able to buy this, and I don't have to carry the business and all that. So she said that it had been on the market for three years, and within the week after she prayed that, and she began to see uh, that this business was going to sell, that she was approached by a man who made her a very uh, lucrative offer. She didn't have to come off her price, and it was such a deal that they could close it within a week instead of having to wait for the several weeks and, and all the auditing things went on. She said, this really works because, and when she saw the picture of all of this being done, the peace of God came upon her and she released it. And so she sent me an email back saying, saying, I am so astounded at this that we did everything in a conventional way to get it done, but nothing would happen until I began to see in my heart that it was completed and done. Yeah, You know, there are so many Christians that would like to sell their houses uh, or to buy new houses right now, if they only understood uh, it's in their mouth and in their imagination that will yeah. cause it to go into their heart, that will cause it to manifest in this life. Teach a little bit on a godly imagination and the power involved. We know that the power of life and death is in the tongue. For instance, if someone was said over to an individual, said, you're stupid, you'll never mount anything, you're probably going to end up in prison. And those words begin to be artistic. It begin to paint something in their mind. And Proverbs says, as, a, as one thinks, as a man thinks in his heart, so he becomes that. And we will become what we behold or we hold on to. So if a person sees themselves 
as having no value and less and devalued, they'll probably maybe take a job that that they could have been more qualified for, but because they had this image in their own mind of how they were, instead of the image how God sees us and how He's already determined in our heart that you were born again with not with bad seed, but you were born again with the incorruptible seed, according to First Peter and one twenty two and verse twenty three. And that you are of good seed. The word seed is the word uh, translated sperma. You came from the stock of the Most High God that he's declared over you that, that you don't have to fail, but you can succeed. So when we see things through the eyes of God, then we, have, we break an old image that maybe someone in our family environment that tried to create an, uh, the wrong image. That if we have created in the image of God and the devil wants to create another image in us, and tries to create a wrong image of who Jesus is. And so then we start creating a lifestyle that we think fits our, our image of that. And I think what's the most important verse for me that's really caught my attention is in Ephesians, the first chapter, verses uh, 18. And he says, this is an apostolic prayer by Paul, by the way, says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, here's the verse that caught me. I pray, here's his prayer, that your eyes of your heart, not the eyes of your head, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the great or the surpassing greatness of his power towards those who believe. The word enlightened there changes that whole uh, verse to me because it is the word photizo, P-H-O-T-I-Z-O. We get the word photograph from it. And so he's saying that the eyes of your heart, your spirit, can take a photograph, photizo, being enlightened, so that this photograph, may uh, we may understand what is the riches, everything that God has in store for us. He said, I want you to see what it looks like. If you were to come into my home, you could look on the walls of my home and you would see pictures, and you would see the pictures of my children, where they were little and how they're grown, and you would see pictures of, of things that I've done in my life, and you would get an understanding of who I am. Well, God wants to give you a picture of how he sees you and how he has spoken over you. Uh, l- listen, your whole destiny is affected by you understanding the power of imagination. I believe there has been something stolen from the church to help us get the promises of God into our spirit, and it's called the imagination. And Kerry Kirkwood has just come out with a brand new book. We're the only ones with this right now, but I I urge you to write us for his book and four CDs called The Power of Imagination with Prayers of Impartation. You're going to be able for the first time in your life to see God release his ability by seeing things uh, the way he sees things through your own eyes, through your imagination, seeing your future, uh, having literally the imagination of God. Uh, But, uh, Carrie, I want you to teach a bit about this because the more I hear you teach, the more real it becomes and the more I have a need to practice the power of imagination. Well, you know that we all are familiar with this verse of Scripture in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, which is what we relate with our five natural senses, but be transformed like a metamorphosis 
and be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so I know that, that we always think our mind is evil, and the Bible says that our carnal mind is enmity against God. But, but the Scripture says that we can have the mind of Christ. So we know that there's the carnal mind, but then there's the mind of Christ or the mind of the anointed one. So I'm looking for the mind of the anointed one and uh, so that I can be filled with that mind so I'm not filled with a carnal mind. And we know that the Scripture teaches us in Psalms 19 that let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in our sight. The word meditate there, hagar, simply means to mutter, to ponder, and even to imagine. So when you consider the good things that God has, instead of considering all the evil that's going to happen or the fear that something's going to take place, one of your kids will get sick or be run over a car because the devil wants you to, to meditate on that and think about that. And so God is transforming our minds to think like he thinks. He says in, in Jeremiah, I have given you a hope and a future. That's where he sees it. And so when we see eye to eye with him, then we can begin to have a godlike imagination to see what he has in store for us. And so it's about developing a heart of faith so we see it the way he sees it. When, remember when Jesus came before Pilate, and Pilate was asking him, are you a king? And, uh, and so he said, yes, I'm a king. And he said, well, where's your kingdom? And he said in, in John, the 18th chapter, in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. Well, that just, Pilate couldn't understand that because every king always has an army and all that. But what Jesus was saying, I've got a kingdom that's just as real as, as what you can even imagine. But the reason why you have armies here is because you fight the war here. But I have my, my uh, host and those who stand with me in another realm. It's nothing weird or, or uh, out there that you just have to conjure up. It is very real. And so we realize that Paul mentions this in 2 Corinthians 4, where he talks about that those things that you see are temporary. They're just temporal. But the things that you don't see are eternal. And so imagination is allowing us to, out of our, our spirit being, to be seeing the things that are eternal. When God created man, there's the principle that whatever he creates uh, from, in other words, we're created from the dust of the earth, and we're a three-part being, we have to be nourished back from where we came from. In other words, because we're physical and we came from the dirt, then we have to eat plants, vegetables that are grown from the dirt. But by the same token, we're also a soul, uh, sukikos rather, is the word there, which means uh, that, you know, our mind, will, and intellect. So we have to be around people to have our minds, uh, you know, challenged and, and charged and energized hearing good things. But there's a part of us, our spirit, that eternal part that's not seen, that needs to be nourished as well. And I believe for the whole, maybe the church world in the United States particularly, that we're malnourished spiritually, though we, we can hear preaching, that we can hear preaching but never eat preaching or have it devoured where it gets in our spirit. And so when God created us, we became, uh, he says he breathed into man and became a living being. The word, there's actually a speaking spirit. So in order to be nourished by God himself in our spirit, he wants to re-energize us so that we can see what he sees. And when we see what he sees, then we're not fearful in the temporal world. We're not tear, uh, fearful about what's around, of, uh, around us at all. In fact, he says in Matthew, the sixth chapter, the lamp of the body is the eye. And so he is saying that what enters into our eyes goes into our, 
into our spirit as well. It becomes part of us. That's why pornography is such a powerful tool of the devil because it, as I mentioned in Ephesians 1, that it's taking a picture and developing it on the inside of us. And you have to have light and you have to have a, a flash, an image, to develop a picture. And so when these things are seen and they're craved and they're, they're addicted to that, and it says it becomes part of who we are, and that's why it's destructive to the family. It is, a, it is a, the antithesis or the opposite image of what God wants us to see, and the devil wants us to replace the image of God with something that is so carnal and earthy, and it ruins uh, the ability to have the imagination or the image of God that we can see what the possibilities we can see. Uh, you know what you're reminding me of? A lot of parents use television or computers as their babysitter. And most of the cartoon series that I, and I don't watch cartoons that much, but when I see them, it's, it's almost like it's violence. And these young kids uh, you know, I just saw a young kid the other day. He walks up to me and he starts doing the the the, the movements of a karate expert on me yeah. because that's what he's taking into himself all day long. Yes. So part of this that it was for me, I when I was a young boy, and uh, I had a I guess a vivid imagination, and my mother was always praying over me that that God would direct my steps and paths and so on. So before I was able to go to school, uh, I gathered all of my, my uh, sister's dolls and, and all of the stuffed animals, teddy bears, and I put them on, on, the, on the bed, and I lined them up there, leaned them up against the wall, and, uh, and I was going to preach to them. I wasn't old enough to read, so I had a big, a big heavy dictionary, and, and I had it there, so I was there. And I, I imagined myself preaching over them, and I imagined myself speaking over to this large group and is like my vivid imagination. And of course, the teddy bear was the most uh, uh, rebellious and always got the teddy bear saved at the end of our meeting every time. <laughs> After years, I find myself doing those very things, not preaching to stuffed animals. <laughs> at least I hope they're not out there stuffed. But anyway, preaching to people in, in other countries and nations, and I see them coming forward for salvation. I see them getting healed and delivered. Uh, just recently, I was there in a, in a drug rehab center where eight men, I began to talk to them about what God had in store for them. And I saw these eight men that God was drawing and, and touching their hearts, and they gave their heart to the Lord. And so it's a very real world. Uh, there's nothing strange about it. Jesus said, I, what I see my father do, I do. Uh, you know, I'm reminded of Kenneth Hagin uh, when he was dying in his bed, no hope left. He was writing, he was a young kid, but he was writing sermons that he would deliver even though the doctor said he was going to die. His imagination was bigger than what the doctors were saying. Exactly. Because what we fixate on, we become. And when we fixate on the problem, and all we do is report the problems, then we, we, it ruins the ability to see what God's in, because all we can see is what someone's done to us or done against us. And, and when we're offended, then I, we're suspended. I mean, we're just held for there, and we can't move on past that moment. Uh, what do you think about people that, in their prayer life, they're praying blow by blow every physical thing wrong with them and what doctors have said. Yes. 
Yeah, and they continue want to tell you and report more what the doctors say. They can tell you more about all the medical uh, jargon than they can about what the Word of God says. And the Word of God is what's going to release healing. And, and But the imagining that I'm going to die and the doctor says I've got so many months to live and I, and I remember the history of my family and they go through all these things. But the Lord wants to renew their mind that they can see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm almost laughing, uh, Kerry, because I'm thinking of, I, I know a woman that's involved with the Duke Medical uh, School and, and hospital, and uh, all she talks about is how wonderful they are in this department and that department. If you have something wrong with and I, I feel like shouting at her, I don't even want to hear this. I just want to hear about what the Bible says. Exactly. Well, you know, Mark eleven twenty four. everybody in quotas says, whatsoever you desire when you pray. But I find a lot of people, when they start praying, they're not praying the desire that the Lord has put in their heart, which is having an imagination and seeing themselves out of debt, seeing them free, seeing their marriage and, their, and is, is being godly and their children doing well. So what they do, they just pray out of what they feel and what they see around them, and they tell God how terrible things on planet Earth are and all of that. But when you begin to pray the desire the Lord puts in your heart, and he says, then believe that you have them. Because when we pray, there again, it is these words paint pictures, and pictures can give us a direction as to how that the Lord wants us to pray. And so... Whoops, we're out of time. We'll pick up right here on tomorrow's broadcast, Mishbucha. But we have Kerry's brand new book literally just off the press called The Power of Imagination. His four CDs, which teach on the subject and powerful prayers of impartation and the bonus CD called Power of Magnification. Uh, I've been having so much fun with that. This is necessary for you to be mentored to walk the way Jesus did. Available for a gift of $45. Call our order only line 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. I believe there has been an ancient understanding of getting the promises of God into your spirit so that when you speak them, they will happen, and you will no longer be on the sidelines watching others move in the supernatural of God, but you will no longer be just a spectator. You're going to be in the front of the stage, front and center. You're going to be ministering the works of Jesus, and it's got to do with the power of imagination. Uh, Carrie, we've been talking about this all this week. Uh, let, let's come up with uh, uh, some problems that people are listening to us are dealing with right now, and how would you approach this through the power of imagination? Uh, there is a housewife uh, who uh, has a bad marriage. Uh, her husband's Maybe he feels, I don't love her anymore, and so everything he does exudes that to her. And uh, she, she, she's praying, but she's not getting results. What advice would you give her? Well, the, the, allow the Lord to, to put within her uh, seeing her marriage healed, because as long as you fixate on that thing, that it becomes almost self-fulfilling. Yeah, yeah, but she sees it every day when her husband comes home. Well, <laughs> you know, it's it's it, it's a big fight, Carrie. 
Well, she has to begin to see it through the eyes of God and see him instead of seeing it through it as this guy that's resisting her. And that's not easy. But you can ask the Lord, say, Lord, would you just give me the eyes to be able to see him the way you see him as the God of creation instead of me seeing the way as a wife who is rejecting. And then you begin to, to pray the way that, God's, that God is showing you. And the Bible talks about that when we, we come in agreement with the Lord, then, then he gives us the desires of our heart. And so that desire uh, not to kill him, that desire not to, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> but that desire to see him set free because there's something going on in his life that he's seeing an image of you or a Im- wrong image of that. So when we begin to pray, God, give us uh, the right imagination or image so that we can begin to pray in that right direction. Now, boy, I wish we had more time to teach on the power of imagination, Mishpocha. I'm convinced it's the missing ingredient for the promises of God, for you to have the vision that God has for your future, that uh, for you to sell the house you're trying to sell, for you to get the job you're trying to get, for the, for the uh, for your unsaved family to get saved, uh, for the, your health circumstances to turn around. I, I am so excited, but I'm equally excited about your teaching, Carrie, on the power of magnification. Briefly explain that. Well, one day I was going to uh, the office, and one of my favorite things is to uh, minister to our, our, our staff here, a great group of people. And I, just, I was asking the, the Lord, would you just give me a nugget, uh, that, a little piece there that would just help touch them because they're ministering to everybody and pouring out during the week. And so the Lord spoke to me just strongly, if I've ever heard anything. He said, I'm going to give you a solution that you'll be able to deal with every problem that you face. I was ready to pull over because I was in my truck at that time and just write this down. And this is what he said. In order to shrink the problem, you have to magnify the solution, which tells me that people usually are so uh, concentrating on the problem, and they've outlined the problem very well, but they haven't magnified. And the word magnify seems, simply means to make larger than, like a, a magnification or, or a magnifying glass. And so... The scripture says in Psalms 34, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. In other words, make God bigger in relation to the problem instead of making the problem bigger than that. When he asked in Zechariah, he said, uh, What do you see? And he's talking about this rubble of the temple there, and he said, Look at this great mountain. What do you see? And he, when he looked at that mountain, he said, Well, I, I just see this huge mountain. And he said, Speak grace to it. In other words, instead of... Focusing on the mountain, just declare grace. And so in my thinking, it's like instead of telling God how big that mountain is, you start speaking to that mountain and telling that mountain how big God is. Because grace is magnifying the Lord, magnifying his influence, instead of magnifying the problem with that. And one of the things that caused uh, uh, Moses to miss going into promised land was because there in Numbers, when he's, God tells him that to go and, and speak to the rock the second time. Remember the first time he struck the rock, and water would come out for the children of Israel. And so Moses was so focused upon the anger of the people and upset with them, and, and so God told him to speak to the rock, but instead Moses spoke to the people. And he tells him later, because you did not treat me wholly before the people, then you have lost you know, your entrance in going in, and to the promise. 
Well, the word treat holy there was literally to make God be magnified in front of the people. He's saying, because if you would have spoke to the rock and, and declared my, my, my greatness, my power, then that's what I really wanted to happen before the people. But you chose to strike the rock, which was an old covenant type, you know, of Jesus being, you know, the, the lamb smitten, and yet they'd already hit the rock once to show that Jesus was crucified in the new covenant. And prophetically, he said, I want to show that now you're in a time where you can speak to me in prayer, but you chose to, to do the old way and, and hit. And sometimes we pray, we're trying to hit God, make God do it. God, you've got to do it. And simply saying, he said, just declare who I am. And the Bible says, as he is, so is his praise. When we magnify him, begin to praise him as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord my God that's healer, then he shows up, he manifests himself as healer. Uh, but what, what, what I got out of your teaching is most people are magnifying their problems and they get them. How much greater if we magnify God and we get God to show up, there are no problems when he shows up. Exactly. Whatever we magnify is what we're going to have. It's like Whatsoever you sow, that will you reap. So if we're sowing anger or bitterness or we're sowing doubt and unbelief and fear, that's because we're magnifying it. We can tell what we're magnifying if you just, I don't know if anybody would do this, but just carry a recorder around with you and listen to our conversations for a 24-hour period. We're magnifying what doesn't work, that doesn't happen. We're hearing conversations from friends and people, what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with the economy, and so on like that. And those are, that can be a fact, but the truth is bigger than the fact. And the truth is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. And when we magnify him, the truth, then the truth trumps the facts. Uh, you know, I watch television uh, talk shows about, especially the, uh, uh, about the presidential election and those that are running and things like that. And, 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 and they're so negative. Uh, that I, I do want to know what's going on with current events, but the negativity, I hate going into me. Exactly. Well, here's a, here's a prime example. In Genesis, the 30th chapter, after Jacob is, uh, has been defrauded a number of times by his father-in-law Laban, and of course he, he had his share of defraud too. And so Jacob has now made a deal with his father-in-law Laban and says, I'll just take the, the, the animals that are, that are speckled and spotted and ringed on them. And he said, okay, fine. And so he takes these poplar uh, branches from the poplar trees, and he kind of makes them look like a barber pole, as I understand it, kind of puts streaks and cuts in them, and he puts them up the water trough. So when that, these, these animals come up to the watering trough, and, and it's also the place where they're breeding, he said when they, as they see these, these streaked uh, uh, rods that are standing there before the, the trough, then they, when they conceived, then they, these animals came out exactly like what they had seen, these poplar rods. Now, I don't know how that fits out with physiological, but the Bible says it happened. And whatever we see and we magnify is what we reproduce. And whatever we perceive is what we conceive, and what we conceive is what we'll deliver and give birth to. And so if we can change how we perceive things and see it as, well, this is a temporary situation, it's a problem, yes, I'll not deny the problem, but I perceive 
that the Lord has got a bigger hand in it. God's got a bigger plan. And I want to see that he has the last word in this. And so in my, in my thinking, in my spirit, I want the goodness of the Lord to be the conception. I want his DNA and not somebody else's anger and hostility. You know, I, I don't want to go to bed night hearing, you know, the, the world is doomed and there's no hope. I want to go to bed tonight meditating upon the scripture because the Bible says the entrance of his word gives light or illumination. And then that's what I can perceive. And then that's what I think is going to, I'm going to give birth to around my family and conversation and whatsoever I desire. That's what I'm going to be praying. I'm going Carrie, to- the four CDs and the book, brand new book called The Power of Imagination. How is this going to change people that get this teaching? I know that they're going to be able to start seeing their life through the eyes of God, through the potentiality that he has set for them. They'll be able to have vision for their life and their family. They're going to be able to see things totally differently. And even their own lives, how they see how God views them, is going to change in that. So they're going to have a perspective from a godly imagination that's going to give them new insight for their future and what they can even believe God for. It raises their faith level way beyond of just believing in something instead of looking towards something. It's not just having vision for the future. It is envision, envisioning that God has given them a hope and he's given them a future, and it lies in store for them. They just pull it out of that store by saying that God says, this is your name on it, and when you see eye to eye with God through his imagination through them, then they're going to have the ability to see this is what belongs to God. This is the promises of God. It is yes and amen to me and my family because we believe what I am seeing in my spirit. The book and the four CDs and the bonus CD called The Power of Magnification. The book and four CDs are called The Power of Imagination. This will change your destiny, available for a gift of $45. To hear this week's interview in its entirety, or to watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. To receive a complimentary copy of our bi-monthly teaching newsletter, materials catalog, or information about becoming Mishpacha or Chalitzim, Write to me, Sid Roth, Post Office Box 1918, Brunswick, Georgia, 31521. Or call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. To place a credit card order, call anytime, 1-800-447-2697. For all other calls, the number is 912-265-2500. That's 912 912- Two six five twenty five hundred For a CD of this week's broadcast, send a donation of $10 or more to Sid Roth, that's S-I-D-R-O-T-H, Post Office Box 1918, Brunswick, Georgia, 31521.